Hello, and welcome to Meditations from Middle Earth. My name is Strider, and I'm a Christian worker here in where I call Middle Earth. We love to meditate on God's Word, and He's given us so many unique and rich experiences here in Middle Earth, and I'd like to share those insights with you here on Meditations from Middle Earth. Today I want to talk about something that I think we all struggle with from time to time. Certainly I struggle with it. And and that is the nature of God. What is he really like? Because it seems like a lot of people have an opinion about that, don't they? And everybody uh, seems to sit and think for a few minutes and then come up with another word or phrase or testimony about what they believe God to be really like. If we look towards the Middle East and we see all the trouble, the difficulties, the hatred, the anger, the violence, and it all seems to be done in the name of God. And is that what he's really like? We read some people and we think, well, wow, that guy seems to have a, a good handle on who God is. And then he'll say or do something and we're completely disappointed and we're completely shattered on, oh my goodness, I guess this guy didn't know who God is at all. Otherwise, his life never would have ended up like that. Otherwise, he never would have done that. Otherwise, he never would have said that. What is God really like? Is he, uh, as Jonathan Edwards said, is he? are we all just sinners in the hands of an angry God? And he just can't wait to throw us into hell because he is just so mad. Or is he the kind of God who would love to condemn homosexuality, gay marriage, people who commit abortions? Is he really angry about all these things? What, what is God like? Have you thought deeply about that? What does he really think about people who drink alcohol, people who gamble? I live in a country where certain people think that you're not supposed to eat bacon, Oh my gosh, I am for sure not believing in a God that doesn't want me to eat bacon. But why not? What's my authority? How do I know what God is really like? Philip says to Jesus, would you just show us the Father and then we'll know what God is like. It'll be enough if you just show us the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, dude, <laughs> you've been with me all this time. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is telling us straight out, he's come from God. If you want to know what the Father is like, yeah, you know, you can read the Old Testament. You can catch some glimpses of who the Father is. Most of the Old Testament, though, is really portraying how just how lost we are, just what a mess we are. You want to Look to this world and to the examples of history, and all you're going to see are example after example of how we are really not what we are supposed to be. You know that, right? You know, looking at your own life, that you've disappointed yourself far, far too often. You're not even who you're supposed to be. And so as we look around the world, we can see lots and lots of what's not supposed to be, the injustice of systems and governments and everything else. But how do we know what God is like? 
And Jesus comes and says, guys, over here, hang on. Let me show you what God is really like. There's a beautiful story that for me personally captures the essence of who Jesus is, what he came to do, how he can do that, and who God really is as a result of that. I, I am so impacted and have been for so long by John chapter 8. You might know this is the story of the woman who's caught in adultery. Look here in verse 2 of John chapter 8. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. You can hear their voices, can't you? Now in the laws of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? Well, they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. When I want to think about what God is really like, I have to, I have to look through the lens of Jesus Christ. He's the one who came from God to tell us what God is like. And look what he does in this story. It's so amazing to me. Now, I should go ahead and address right off that in some of the original earliest manuscripts of John, we don't have this story from chapter 8. Some of the early manuscripts put it over in Luke. But almost everybody agrees that this story is so unique that it must be an original story of Jesus. So whether it was early in earliest John or whether it was originally in Luke or where it came from, it surely was an original story with Jesus. And that's why the early manuscript writers put this story in, because they knew this story, as much as any story, portrays for us the character and nature of Jesus Christ. Look what happens. He's in there. He's teaching in the temple. Pharisees hate this guy. Why do they hate this guy? Well, because he's not one of them. He doesn't have their credentials. And he's not promoting the law in the way that they want it promoted. He has several times now, purposely seemingly, performed miracles on the Sabbath day, clearly breaking their laws. You must note, of course, that this is their laws, not the laws that God originally uh, enacted in the laws of Moses and the Ten Commandments back in the beginning. No, they added a lot of laws to clarify the laws that we already had. 
You know, so remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, how do you do that? How can we keep the Sabbath holy? I guess we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. It should be a day of rest, right? What's rest? Because in their heart, they didn't have any rest. Therefore, they had to make laws in order to establish what rest really was. And they had a ridiculous long list of laws. And when Jesus came along, he looked at all those laws and he said, Guys, I'm not really interested in keeping all these. And so he made the Pharisees, who were good law keepers, really angry right from the get-go. And they thought, man, we've got to embarrass this guy because crowds are beginning to follow him. And we've got to stop this because he's taking away our power base. It's always a power thing with people, isn't it? Well, Jesus is teaching there. The Pharisees bring him a woman who'd been caught in adultery. Now, of course, according to the law of Moses, they were supposed to bring in the woman and the man. The man is conveniently absent. You know, that still happens today. Um, The man is often conveniently absent uh, in such cases, as we see even around the world today, and even right here in Middle Earth, we can see women being condemned for what both the woman and the man do. But nevertheless, here's the woman. And she's brought before Jesus. And they said, All right, here's this woman. She's been caught in adultery. The law commands us to stone such women. Actually, as I said, the law actually commanded them to stone the man and the woman. Now, they almost never ever did this, you understand. But that was the original law. The original law, going back some 1,500 years to Moses' time before this, The original law was that if people were committing adultery, having sex out of marriage, then they were to be stoned. The nation of Israel originally was supposed to be this pure and holy nation. Of course, you and I know they they never were. That never happened. But that was the original intent of the law. Well, here's this woman in front of Jesus, and they're saying, All right, we stone her or we don't stone her. What do you say? And they said this to test him. Now, why to test him? How is this a test for Jesus? Well, this is a test for Jesus because the law is true. It really was a law that this woman would be stoned. But there's also no grace in that. There's no beauty in that. There's no forgiveness. There's no love in that. The law doesn't have any love to it. That's why it's the law. And it wasn't saving anybody. The law wasn't making Israel a better place. The law wasn't making the Jewish society a better society. The law doesn't change men and women to make them better people. It merely demonstrates how awful we really are. And it did that. It did that really well. And so here's this woman. She should be stoned. If Jesus says, yeah, you're right, that's what the law says, go ahead and stone her, then what happens? All the crowds walk away. Why would they just walk away? Because there's no grace, there's no joy, there's no love in the law. They already have the law, and they're suffering underneath it. They're suffering in their society. They they are not experiencing joy and peace as God's chosen people. They're suffering under Roman occupation, A brutal uh, army is there in their land, 
beating them up day by day. The religious leaders are beating them up day by day. We keep the law and you don't. We're good and you're not. They live under a weight of condemnation all the time. And if Jesus says, yeah, go ahead and stone her. That's the right thing to do. Then clearly this guy's got no message for me. If that woman could be stoned, then I could be stoned. If that woman can't find forgiveness and love and peace in a relationship with God, then I guess I can't find one either. And I thought Jesus had some hope for me, but I guess there's not. And they would turn and walk away. Or Jesus could say, hey, don't stone her. You know, it's not nice. That's mean. Mean, nasty thing to do, stone people. Stoning is brutal. It's awful. No, don't do that. Don't stone. Oh, well, now what are you saying? You're saying the Old Testament doesn't count? You're saying the law doesn't count? You're saying just ignore it? Are you saying God didn't give the Ten Commandments to Moses? Are you saying you know better than God? Well, this clearly can't be a teacher. There can't be any truth with him. So the Pharisees felt that they had this guy cornered pretty good. This was a situation where he couldn't win. But I want you to look at something else. This is a situation where this woman can't win either. She is caught up in a difficult situation in the world just like we all are. She's, she has, in fact, committed adultery. And now she's been dragged into the temple right here in front of everybody. Everybody in Jerusalem is going to be talking about this woman. They all saw her. Oh, I saw you. You were down there in the temple. Now she's got two roads that she can now walk. She can either get stoned and killed right then, or Jesus can somehow ignore her, ignore the law, and she can go home, right? Well, how is she going to go home? Everybody saw her. She is humiliated. She is shamed. She can't go back and face her neighbors again. She can't go back and face her family again. She cannot go back to the life that she lived. Her life is over. It's done, man. No matter what Jesus says, he cannot give her her life back. It's gone. And she's standing there in her shame and in her guilt with Possibly hundreds of people standing around gawking at her. He says, we've, we've caught her in the act of committing adultery. I don't know what she was wearing, but my guess is it wasn't flattering. It wasn't how she wanted to dress to go to the temple at any rate. So what, what could possibly happen that's good in this story? Well, Jesus bends down and starts to write with his finger on the ground. A lot has been said about this. What could he possibly be doing here? Why is he writing with his finger on the ground? And some people have thought, well, maybe he's writing out like the Ten Commandments, you know, and reminding everybody that, hey, they've disobeyed commandments too. They've made mistakes too. They're sinners too. Maybe it doesn't tell us. I like to think that as he does this unusual thing of bending down and writing on the ground with his finger, everybody is now watching him. They were all looking at her. But now look at the compassion of Jesus. If he's writing the commandments or no matter what he's writing, they're watching him write. And they're not staring at this shamed woman anymore. 
Well, they keep asking him, hey, dude, you got to answer the question. And what's he going to do? Is he going to go right or is he going to go left? Either way, he loses. If it's yes, he loses. If it's no, he loses. This woman has already lost. There is no winning in this situation. And he stands up. And in verse 7, he says the famous phrase, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And he bends back down and he starts writing on the ground again. Now, look at the genius of the Son of God. Here's Jesus. He gets up and he makes this proclamation of him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. I want you to think through that phrase with me. What has he just announced? He's just given the challenge of, yeah, you know what? The law says what it says. You can do that. Go ahead. Whoever hasn't sinned, whoever is better than this woman, go ahead and throw the rock. Be the first one. Be my guest. Throw the rock. If you're better than she is, you throw that rock. He's not contradicting the law. He's not saying the law doesn't count. He's telling them that if they're better than this woman, they have the right to kill her. But of course, they're not better than this woman. Isn't that the reality of humankind? We want to judge each other. We want to stand above each other. But the truth is that we're all the same. We were all meant to be children of God. And we all commit sin. And we all let ourselves down and let everybody else down on a regular basis. All of us fall short of what God has called us to be. All of us fall short of what we want us to be. And these guys standing there in the temple that day knew this. And one by one, notice beginning with the oldest, the wisest, the guys who were smarter, they drop their rocks and walk away first. And then the younger guys, who just knew one of those old respected guys was going to toss that rock, they're standing there waiting, and they're watching all the older guys drop their rocks and walk away. And finally they realize, man, if all the old respected guys drop their rocks and walk away, I guess I, guess I got nothing. And I'm dropping my rock and I'm walking away too. And so they're all gone. But look what Jesus has just done. It's the most beautiful thing ever. Because this woman, who it didn't matter if they killed her or not, because she can't go home, because she's shamed in front of everybody. But now what happens? Now she can go home. He's restored her life to her. How did he do that? Because tomorrow, when she gets up in the morning and she walks into the street and one of her neighbors says, I saw you in the temple. And she can say, yeah, and you didn't throw a rock either, did you? Uh-huh. He gives her her life back. He restores her position in the community. She's a sinner. She failed. She deserved to get stoned. But Jesus restores her to her community. He restores her life. That's who God is. Isn't that amazing? But he goes further than this. There's more to this story than even that much. I'm telling you there's the most amazing thing in here that I bet you didn't think of. You know who didn't throw a stone at her? Jesus didn't. You know, 
He could have stood there. He could have said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he'd say, well, that happens to be me. I've never sinned. And he could have picked up a rock and threw an at her. He could have done that. He didn't do that. Not because he's admitting that he sinned somehow, because Jesus never sinned. No, that's not the message here. The message is not that Jesus must be a sinner since he didn't throw a rock. The message is that Jesus, the Son of God, the one who's showing us what God is like, chose not to throw the rock. He chooses not to condemn. He has the right to condemn. He could have done it had he wanted to. But the beauty of this story is that God doesn't want to kill that woman. That's what he's telling us about the character and nature of God. He is not standing there, can't wait to throw rocks at horrible sinners. Can't wait to toss people into hell. No, that's not who he is at all. He can't wait to save them. He jumps on the opportunity to save this woman. He jumps on the other opportunity to save many. He's the God who came to save Isn't that what he tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3? You come down to the end of that story. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Very famous verse, right? you, You know it so well that you don't even think about what that means. But do you go on to verse 17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In John 17, John chapter 3, verse 17, he is saying that Jesus didn't come to condemn. The world's already condemned. We've had the law for thousands of years. We've failed it for thousands of years. We don't need to prove that we're more lost. And as I've often said, you look around in this world full of hurt and violence and brutality and suffering and sorrow and death. People aren't going to hell. They're already there. Jesus is coming to rescue us from hell, not to send us to hell. He doesn't have to send anybody to hell. They're already in hell. They're already going to hell. They've already arrived in hell. They've been in a living hell for a long time. No, Jesus is the Savior. He's the voice of God crying out and saying, Hey guys, you don't have to be in this terrible place. I can get you out. And even though those Pharisees had that woman locked in to death, Jesus got her the get-out-of-jail-free card right there. He got her out. He rescued that woman. That's what God is like. And it doesn't mean that there's no such thing as hell. And it doesn't mean that there's no such thing as suffering and death because everybody listening to this knows perfectly well that there most certainly is suffering and death. No. What it means is that Almighty God has a plan to get you out. That's his heart cry, is to rescue, to save, to deliver, to redeem. He calls this woman out of suffering and sorrow, and he releases her. And he gives her the the beautiful command, 
Yeah, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. So not only go and, and don't be bothered by these maniacs anymore, but don't don't be enslaved to sin anymore either. You know, don't just go back to, oh, hey, Jesus says, uh, I'm forgiven, I can do anything I want. Well, yeah, but what do you want to do? Do you want to live a life of infidelity, of betrayal, of broken promises and broken dreams? Is that the life you're free now to live? No, 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 no. Now she's free to go and sin no more. Now she's free to go and become the person that God created her to be. Loyal, faithful, full of love and kindness, graciousness. Mercy has been given to her. Now she is free to go be merciful to others. This is what we're called to. We are forgiven by Almighty God, set free, so that then we can go forgive others and set them free. Look at what Jesus says here at the at the end of his ministry. He's with the disciples. He's already died for the sins of the world on the cross. He's risen from the dead. And now he's talking to his disciples in John chapter 20. He says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So the Father sent him to meet up with that woman and set her free. And he says, hey, I'm sending you to go out there and do the same thing. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And now we have the power that Jesus had on that day to set that woman free. And now we have that power too. We who carry the Holy Spirit, who carry the image of God, and the image of Christ. Now we can set others free by forgiving them, by loving them, by being gracious, and by pointing them to Jesus, who is the only true God. I guess there's one other thing to say about John chapter 8, and that is the, the irony that happens as you bring this kind of love, this kind of grace, this kind of forgiveness to a lost and dying world, you would expect, I suppose, thanks. Hey, wow, you're really gracious and loving. We really like that. But so often that's not what we find. In John chapter 8, Jesus continues to teach right there in the temple. And as he does, the people begin to oppose him. As you come down to the end of John chapter 8, they start saying that, you know, they're child, the true children of Abraham. And he says, no, actually, you're children of the devil. You're liars just like he is. Well, it's, it's pretty harsh what he has to say. But honestly, it's pretty harsh what they were saying. And so as you get down to the end of that chapter, they're saying that he's wrong, that he's uh, has a devil. And he says, you're disrespecting me. You know, Abraham saw me and was glad. And they said, oh, my goodness, you're not even 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? Come on. Abraham lived like, you know, more than 2,000 years before. And so Jesus makes his famous statement, even as Abraham was, I am. And that great I am statement that he makes, which, of course, in, in Hebrew is Yahweh, which is the name for God. When, when God 
uh, encountered Moses there in that burning bush. And Moses says, so what am I going to tell people your name is? And he says, tell them I am sent you, that word Yahweh. And Jesus repeats that there in John chapter 8. And what do they do? They pick up stones to stone him. <laughs> and so you have the great irony here. That in the beginning of John chapter 8, the only guy qualified to stone this woman refused to stone her. And at the end of chapter 8, everybody else who were most certainly not qualified to stone this woman are picking up stones to stone Jesus. It's ironic, it's human nature, and it's sad. But we are called to go out and be like Jesus. That's what that's the command he gives us. Even as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. So we are sent out to be loving and forgiving even as Jesus was loving and forgiving. And to not throw the stones even when it really looks like those people could use a stone thrown at them. <laughs> you know people like that, don't you? In my life there's been many and many times I've been tested on this, and many times I've failed. A few years ago, a friend of mine came to me and said, uh, Hey, you know, I've had so much trouble with my wife, and my mom and dad have decided to find me another wife. And, uh, you know, and here in his culture, that's, that's what they do. Mom and dads find wives for their sons. And they didn't like this one, so they wanted to get rid of her and get another wife. And I said, dude, that is way not on. You know, that's that's just not going to come out well at all. But finally, he consented. He put away his first wife. He married his second wife. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a disaster. And then a few, four days, actually, four days after the second wedding, he decided this was a bad decision. And so he put away his second wife and went back to his first wife. And I met him and I said, Oh, guy, what did you just do? This poor second wife that you just took, you just ruined her life. She can't go back to her neighborhood now. She can't go back to her family now. You've been with her for four days. No one else will marry her now. You've completely ruined her. And I was so angry. And I remember as I was standing there speaking to him, I thought, I'm supposed to be forgiving, I'm supposed to be loving, but I can't let this go. He ruined that girl's life, and I've got to give it to him. And everybody hearing this story would say, well, Strider, he did ruin that woman's life, and good on you for saying something about it. Yeah, maybe, but you know what? It was the wrong thing to do. I pushed him away. I didn't see him for a long time after that. As I thought about that situation, I went back later, I talked to him, prayed for him. I've tried to be an encouragement to him since then. But I know the mistake that I made that day. You see, he was a sinner, and he did mess up. But we should never condemn other people in a way that destroys relationship. The way to do it, the way that Jesus always did it, See, he was always restoring relationships. Remember, he forgives that girl. He lets that girl go. And what was the result? The result was that all of her relationships were restored. She was redeemed. I should have approached my friend in the same way. Yeah, he messed up. And I should have pointed out that he messed up. 
but I should have done it in a way that invited him into relationship with me, in a way that offered forgiveness and love and said, hey, dude, you messed up, but I'm still your friend, and I still love you, and Jesus still loves you, and we're still going down the road together. Come, let's go together down the road with Jesus. We should always be offering forgiveness because that's what Jesus offers. So go and offer that kind of love and acceptance to a world that is so desperate for it. Amen. This has been Meditations from Middle Earth. May God be your ever-present teacher and richly bless you on your journey.